Well, do not worry, gentle listeners. There is no trouble at the mill we're going to be talking with today. There are only good things to report. Yes, it's episode 129 of The Cool Room. I'm your host, David Griffiths, and we're heading for a wonderful episode today when we talk to Melbourne Brewery, The Mill. Um, that little audio intro uh, is another one of our little guess that bit of noise and win some free beer competition. You'll need to email us at coolroompodcast.com at gmail if you can identify where that bit of audio comes from and if you do that we're going to send you out a tasty six-pack of beers from the mill uh, the beers that accompany the episode that we're having today Uh, but if you can't identify the sound and you still want to grab the beers well head on over to our Shopify uh, cool room podcast search for it google cool room Shopify Uh, and you will come up with our site, and you can buy the beers for the mill. You can also buy the amazing beers that we have in our May tasting pack for all of the online events we have this month, Uh, and that includes beers from Wild Barrel, some exciting beers that we've got from the US there, Uh, 11 fantastic beers from uh, King River Brewing, including some wet hop beers. Really looking forward to that chat. Uh, And the third brewery we're going to have on is the... The, uh, is Sea Legs. Uh, so really looking forward to having a chat with them a bit later on in the month. Three great breweries, 24 beers in the pack, uh, and a great way to make sure that you maximise your cool room experience. A little reminder as well, while I'm doing the promos, uh, if you're not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, uh, give us a look and a follow on those. Uh, That way you can find out about the events before they take place, uh, and you can join us online, which, as we always say, is easily the best way to enjoy the cool room. We love the fact that you folks download the podcasts, but live in the Zoom room is a great way to go too. Even more excitingly, live in the flesh is uh, even better than live on Zoom, and we're having some enormously fun events coming up in May. We've teamed up with Beer Deluxe to ensure that a couple of Melbourne's favourite beer events uh, remain on the May calendar. Again, check out Facebook for more information, but uh, Hair of the Dog Breakfast at Beer Deluxe, uh, which will be eight beers uh, from four different breweries, and we'll be chatting to them live in the in the room. Uh, and uh, we'll record that one so that if you can't jump in the flesh with us, you can come out and join us uh, uh, on the podcast. Um, there's some really fun beers. There's eight courses of food. It's easily one of Melbourne's best beer days, and I'm super proud that The Cool Room has helped to keep that running uh, and super excited to be teaming up with Beer Deluxe to bring that to everyone. So uh, get along to our Facebook, find out more information about all of those things, and you'll be uh, sitting pretty. You'll be joining us live in the flesh. Really looking forward to doing that. Really looking forward as well to having you all listen to our conversation with the mill. Uh, My good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, is going to be the one to kick us off with that discussion. And so it's over to you, Warren Wu. And just as predicted by my introduction, it's fantastic to be here tonight with Mr. Warren Wu. Warren, how are you, brother? I'm really good, David. Yeah, I'm really good. It's been a nice, nice week. It's good to be be kind of putting exclamation mark in the middle, like in a Thursday. No, and... that's not how it works. I was an English teacher, mate. Exclamation marks go at the end of a sentence. Yeah, but it's also nice to stick. Well, it's the week. The week is a page, and one of the paragraphs in the middle has an exclamation mark that finishes it off. If I was a nicer person, I'd edit all of this out, but you know this is you going to be know, the beginning no. of the episode. It's going to be the beginning of episode 129. Wow. Isn't that amazing? With the, the mill, and I'm excited to have the mill on tonight. I know you are. Mate, yep. can you can you get us underway with that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so everyone, welcome to the podcast. We've got, we're really lucky to have Merrick Aldridge from the mill uh, in Col- from Collingwood. Um, yeah, really exciting. You know, one of the things I'm not, especially the last couple of years, I haven't been a mad, one of those mad keen craft beer geeks who, who's tried everything on the market and had a look at everything. So it's, it's, it's really amazing that sometimes I, we run across breweries, which I've, I've never heard of. And it's not like the mill hasn't been around for, you know, five years is in isn't in in kind of 
craft beer central of Melbourne right now. So it's really great to kind of find something where, well, not even find something, but just kind of actually be able to have a chat with someone who's who's kind of this part of the journey. So, yeah, um, um, Merrick, could you give us an outline of the brewery and a little bit of history? I think that'd be a really nice place to start. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, thanks for having us, by the way. Um, yeah, if we just start with an outline of, of the mill and how we got here, um, I think everyone might tell me to shut up. Could go for a long time. But, yeah, look, I'll give the the sort of the rundown, I guess, um, just of the mill. The mill technically opened its doors uh, in Collingwood at the tap room um, and the original brewery that we've still got operating now in March 2017. And, uh, look, at that point it was, um, it was just me. It was a one-man operation. And, uh, look, it was, it was really exciting, really fun, really uh, tough, you know, a lot of long hours getting everything set up. I had a lot of friends help me, you know, uh, do the do the fit out and, and build at the actual site, you know, put the brewery in. We got brewing sort of pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, from there, it's just been a sort of a real sort of slow and steady sort of um, build from, you know, from there just to sort of uh, up our production and sort of get a bit of a name for ourselves. And, you know, at one point, I think it must have been in 2019. So, I mean, you know, a couple of years after we'd opened, we'd really sort of outgrown that that facility. So it's a 600-litre um, brewery on site there at Collingwood. And we've, we had three 600-litre fermenters. And it was basically like, you know, just enough to sort of get by. We couldn't do any wholesale. Um, you know, we couldn't sell any kegs to any other venues, um, you know, purely because we would just run out. We wouldn't have beer for ourselves um, and at the beginning, we would always have a few guest taps on, but it got to a point where we were just brewing enough beer that we were able to just, we had eight taps at that point, And we got to a point where we just had, you know, eight different beers on. Um, we would be constantly running out of our, our core beers. Like we never really had core beers at that point. But um, so, yeah, in September 2019, we put in a couple of um, double size tanks, 1200 litre tanks. And that really sort of helped us out, enabled us to sort of just really keep up with our own sort of supply within the venue and also do a little bit of wholesale um, on the side, just a little bit, you know, just to sort of local venues who were sort of close by to us in that area. Um, As I think David said, um, we are, you know, smack bang in that sort of craft beer hub in uh, Collingwood, which is is great to have so many good good other sort of uh, breweries around us. and then from there, we again just sort of grew out that those two extra tanks. And you know, the thought was, all right, well, you know, there's there's sort of two directions we can go from from here. And it was essentially a, a matter of, do we want to start contracting out a lot of our <clears throat> our main core beers? Um, you know, get them brewed off site where you know you don't necessarily have so much control over the final product, or do we want to sort of look into expanding and getting a new site and right smack bang in the middle of COVID we ended up doing the latter and we now have a you know a second production site up in Thomastown which is you know brought us to where we're at now. Can um, I just jump in for two seconds I can see Warren I just jumped in ahead of you there mate I'm <laughs> sorry about that uh, but, so I think one of the things that's really interesting for people is that notion of you were you started in a small way you haven't quite described described what Collingwood is as a suburb and an institution within Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And we have so many people who from around the world listening. Can, how mm-hmm. would you describe Collingwood? And how would Look, you describe your decision to, first of all, you know, put your why did you choose Collingwood as a place to put your brewery? Look, funnily enough, I Collingwood was just a place that I was really into at the time. And and look, to be fair, before I started, before we really signed that lease at that site, which was in 2016, um, I was looking at commercial properties for probably five years. Um, I wasn't ready to commit to a lease probably even the day before the day that I did. I wouldn't have wanted to do it any earlier. I'm glad I waited until I was ready. But but that that area in particular, I just always found it interesting. I I kind of it kind of suits me, I guess. Like I, I you know I absolutely hate that hipster word. It's just silly. But like it is 
it is a bit like that. You know, you could always say it's a bit grungy. Um, I've been in Melbourne since 2008. So I've, I have been here for quite a while and I always remembered, um, you know, Brunswick Street being that kind of a little bit grungy and Smith Street just being, you know, a little bit nasty, <laughs> to be yes, honest. Absolutely. It was a yep. bit, it was a bit shit, you know, um, pretty sketchy area. In, in a fun way though. Yeah. In a fun way. Absolutely. And look, and, but where it's at today, it, it's such a great strip, you know, and, and look, I can't believe I got that lucky to be honest. Cause look, to be honest at that point, when I signed that lease in 2016, Smith street wasn't anywhere near where it's at now. And I'll tell you what my street in particular, Sackville street was sketchy and rough. Mm. I'm, I'm about 110 metres um, from Smith Street. Um, and when I first signed that lease, we had next door to me was a really weird mattress um, shop. That guy, that guy ran away from his lease, broke his lease, disappeared. I think they had to sell off all the old stock that he had. So I don't know, that guy was always a bit funny. And then the guy on the right of me was um, uh, he sold ice, not the drug, literally ice. That's what he, that's his thing. And he had a giant um, uh, freezer container and he just. He must have had a giant cool room just to give you a bit of context. Uh, yeah. Cool yeah. Room. Well, I think, I think it was actually a, yeah, a shipping container one he had, but, but he was super sketchy too. And then one day he also disappeared and I believe that he was deported for some reason. I don't know. It looked, you anyway, know, point of the story, <laughs> point of the story was that, at that point, that street was, you know, pretty rough, not much going on. And uh, there was one other dude there, Jeremy, he runs clean guitars. So he had a nice little spot set up, just two doors up for me. And um, today there's a cafe, cafe next to me on either side, two cafes, a cafe further up the road, two roasters. <laughs> so the, the street itself has <clears throat> become quite gentrified. And there's a clothing label store across the road. None of this stuff was there when I, signed that lease and it's just been like an absolute joy to just watch that street sort of come to life and see where it's at now um and like that's that's the sort of that's the story about collingwood you know in the I, whole, I'm gonna yeah, hand back the whole over Warren in a second but that's but the reason i intervened was because we love those kind of stories yeah and absolutely the, cool room, yep. the yep. whole thing about what we're trying to do here is tell those stories about you know how you go jesus wouldn't it be fun to to make a brewery or a coffee roasting shop but yep. how do you go from being a home brewer or someone who just likes beer to, to doing these kinds of things mm-hmm. that's the kind of journey we're going to go on today it's and a long tough journey but you know, it could be done <laughs> yeah and so we're really interested in exploring that and um already just the way that street moves yeah. is mm-hmm. such a way of telling that story absolutely Warren, and look when i signed that lease sorry just to jump in again sorry yeah, but um please. In, in 2016, again, Stomping Ground were there, you know, a little bit further down, obviously, on Gift Street. Um, but, but yeah, none of the others, others were there at that point. So I do feel just so lucky to be, like, jumping in early. Yeah. And then, you know, four years later, just what's happened there and, like, so many other amazing breweries have opened up in that area and it's so awesome to be a part of something like that. You know, it's, it's you know, it reminds me a lot of... Um, you know, Marrickville in, uh, you know, New South Wales and Sydney, that kind of thing. There's a lot of these sort of cool little brewery hubs and um, it sort of reminded me a lot of the States too because that was always a big sort of inspiration for, for starting the brewery and, and what, you know, they, they've got going on over there and their little areas that are just sort of filled with breweries. It's Yeah, it's a crazy thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quickly ask James's question. He's asked that in our chat in the cool room because I just really like it. It actually says something about... <laughs> about Collingwood as well, like it, it, it kind of harks back to our question because I had no idea there was a guitar string vending machine. It's very cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, like it must be, you know, one of a kind. I, I mean, I haven't seen anything like that anywhere. It's very cool. But I do have to say that the, the vending machine wasn't there when I was there. That's actually quite a new addition. Can you explain, <laughs> you know, we have people from Norway. We have so many Norwegian listeners. Oh, yeah. Can you explain what you're actually talking about there? <laughs> the the vending machine, it's a it's just out front of um, Jeremy's shop. He's the one who who runs Klingon. He sells guitars, fixes guitars and amps, and he his shop. It's such a cool shop. If you haven't been there, just if you're not even into guitars, it's just a really awesome little little store. But he um, recently put in a, a vending machine, a vending machine that would normally be used for soft drinks or something. He uh, you can actually go there 
and buy guitar strings and I think, you know, like leads for guitars and little things like that. And there's been a lot of times and I've seen like a lot of posts on his Instagram where people have praised him for like, shit, man, I was doing a gig at the Tote and I busted a string and I needed one desperately and he ran around the corner to Jeremy's <laughs> and just to buy a, a string, you know, it's, it's yeah. a pretty cool little thing. It's, it's own, that is a archetypal Melbourne thing that is yeah. beautiful. Absolutely. Like, is, yeah. and, and it's, I, I, I could tell like if it isn't the only one in the world, the only other one would be like, Memphis, like yeah, you know true. what I mean. It would yeah. be like we, yeah, because and we we've done probably a little bit better. It's probably cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, and that's yeah. It says a lot about Melbourne and a lot about Collingwood too. But that's yeah, that's really absolutely cool. yeah. It's just a look. It is a cool vibe in Collingwood I've, and Fitzroy. You know, just that whole area. And look, I live in Abbotsford. I'm dangerously too close to yeah. to my workplace. You know, and that yeah. Actually, I forgot my beers today. I had to run back this afternoon to get them. <laughs> Did you actually so, run back? I definitely drive? did not run back. No, I, <laughs> I ran to the car and then I drove very slowly. Now, can I just say, Mr. Warren Blue, we're, we're, in our drinking journey, we've almost made it through our first discussion. Yeah, of the without, first actually without actually opening the beer. The beer <laughs> 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 we haven't even spoken about the beer. Well, I've almost finished the beer. So we, we started off with, with the, the Magnet Bay New Zealand Pilsner. Um, which is terrific, you know, it, and I've, yeah, I've, you know, in that time, I've completely annihilated this poor beer. Um, <laughs> let's run through, let's run through a little tasting, a little, yeah, a little taster of this New Zealand pills. What, well, first of all, what makes it a New Zealand Pilsner as opposed to any other Pilsner? So the New Zealand aspect uh, of this particular beer is essentially the actual ingredients. So we use, um, Gladfield malts from New Zealand, as well as the, in this particular beer, that sort of classic New Zealand hop combo of Mochuweka and Nelson. Um, and you have to excuse me, I actually haven't even cracked it yet, so I'm going to pour no, myself no, we're, a glass. We're, I think we're all the same. So. <laughs> what? And can I say, Nelson is absolutely one of my favourite hops. Yeah. And I, I cop a bit of, you know, a bit of shit for this, but I love it. It's a great hop. It's, it's an incredible hop, yeah. And for something that's sort of been around, for, for quite some time and it's, it's kind of gone through those waves of, uh, you know, being popular and then it sort of quiets down, becomes popular again. But, yeah, for me and and actually for Eli, I, look, I might take this quick second if I could to just to mention um, when we started this new site, um, we, we really needed to bring on a like a, a head brewer, right, to take over that sort of role. Um, I'm, I'm not doing those the brewing so much these days. It sort of got to a point where... I have to actually run the business. <laughs> I don't really have time to do the brewing anymore, which is sad, but also, you know, great. I still get to do recipes here and there. But anyway, um, Eli um, is our new head brewer and Eli is from New Zealand. He's actually from Christchurch originally. And for this particular beer, he's called it Magnet Bay, which is a little little bay just south of Christchurch, a bit of a surf sort of bay. Um, and yeah, like he's, he's, he's a Pilsner guy. He loves his classic styles. So um this one was actually brewed for um i mentioned it earlier the the lagerland festival that was held at stomping ground a few weeks back oh it was back in back in march actually um and yeah so when i you know told him hey man we've got to do a lager for this festival you know that kind of thing his eyes light up and he's just like awesome you know i'm I'm giving this thing six weeks in the tank like giving it the time that it needs um and look yeah this one has just come out really nicely like I, i personally love this one and as I was saying, being able to just drink a lot of Pilsners and it's so good to see them coming back into fashion, so to say. Um, you know, I'm sure most people can agree. I don't think many people these days sort of, there's not that sort of stigma to like, oh, lager, you know, I just, I don't see it anymore. I think people get excited for lagers again. It's good. Did uh, We might quickly touch on the Lagerland Festival because, yeah, I think it was really interesting. You mentioned, what, who, what we, were there any standouts? Were there any ones that, that you you drank and you just went, holy shit, this is, this is incredible. This is next level. Oh, look, I'm, I wish I could uh, have a better recollection of, of the, the beers that I drank because they were all spectacular. Like, I'm not going to lie. They, they were all so, so good. Um, and, and look, again, it's like you think, um, you know, having a, a lager festival, you're like, well, they're all going to be the same, right? I mean, yeah. it's like an IPA festival or something like that. You, you kind of think, oh, isn't that a bit like one dimensional? But but really, at the end of the day, the, there's just so many different types of beer and styles within that sort of lager category that you can yeah. do. You know, there were dark beers and light beers and smoked beers and, and whatnot. You could 
you know, I just thought, um, yeah, lots of lots of different beers. Like, yeah, I just they can't can't think of them right now, unfortunately. But plenty of delicious brews at that festival. Mm. Yeah, can I um, ask when you were handing over the reins to having a you know, professional brewer in one sense? And you absolutely, were... yes. I'm not a professional. Eli is a professional. So, so was that? <laughs> Scary, or were there styles you wanted to keep aside for yourself? Or we, we, you know, the podcast is about telling these little behind the scenes stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it wasn't, and I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. It, it was when we were at that stage in our um, expansion, um, knowing that we need to find somebody who is exactly the right fit for the brand um, and and the team and can, you know, get us to where we need to be and continue to grow. Um, and, yeah, look, it was scary knowing that we needed to find the right person. But, um, look, to be fair, I think once I sat down with Eli for that first day, it was, I knew, I knew then, <laughs> I knew so, straight so, away. So I was going to ask, was there a conversation where you sat down and you went, oh, hang on a second, we are on the same page? Absolutely. And you just went, oh, this, this is the beer I want to make. And you go, oh, bloody hell, that's the beer I want to make as well. Absolutely. And, and look, I'm, I'm super open to, to all styles. And for him to be, like, I mean, his previous roles, you know, at various breweries before us, um, you know, he's done it all. Um, but he personally likes the classic styles, but he also makes an absolutely mean IPA, you know, and uh, he's certainly not just that's the only thing he can do and he doesn't want to touch anything else. He's, he's very open to everything. But when you give a brewer a chance to brew something that they want to brew, uh, you know, they're going to just do the absolute best they can. So, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, are there some changes that he's made to your core range? Already, some, like is some minor tweaks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, some minor tweaks because because before we started the production site, we didn't necessarily have a core range. We had some beers that were <clears throat> like always on in the tap room, like our favorite beers. You know, the the, the cracking lager was there, sure. The mosaic, which is in our pack, which we'll be drinking uh, next, I believe. Yep. Um, that one was something that I'll chat more about that. Um, when yeah. we come around to it, but yeah, but there yeah, were right. some minor tweaks, yeah. And and he certainly the the El Toro, to be fair, that the IPA um, in our core range, that was that was basically a brand new beer. Um, we we loosed, basically based it loosely off uh, another IPA that we'd done previously, but but where it sits today, it's it's a completely brand new beer essentially. So so yeah, he did some tweaks, um, all for the better. And to be fair, after our first sort of few batches at the new site. Um, they're all sort of sitting relatively where we want them to be and where they'll stay, which is good. Uh-huh. You, you can talk, so people who are listening in, hopefully they've already bought the tasting pack from the uh, Cool Room Shopify store. That's part of what means uh, you can enjoy the very best experience in the Cool Room. Mm-hmm. And the El Toro is one of those. So mm-hmm. we're not going to officially talk about it, but do you want to give us 30, 60 seconds on what it was and what people should be experiencing in that beer right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the El Toro was always meant to be uh, like, a, you know, a West Coast IPA, um, hence the name El Toro. It's uh, uh, not only does it mean the, the bull, but El Toro is actually quite a famous uh, skate spot in, um, in uh, L.A., uh, sure. So, oh. yeah, you know, there's just some little funny things that sort of yeah. um, give it that West Coast sort of vibe um, and the taste of the actual beer itself is, is a West coast style, but we've gone for like a little bit more sort of juicy on the, on the hops um, as opposed to just sort of, you know, dank and pine that would be sort of your classic West coast, but we've sort of mixed it up a little bit, but it is to its core, definitely a, um, a West coast style. Now I reckon we're very close to moving on to the mosaic. Unless Holy I'm shit. Moving. I've only had a few, I've been, yeah, yeah, well, so I, I'm so glad I started. I started the um, I started the Pilsner early because yeah, good, yeah. good, good, good choice. And James, your question is really good, mate. But if you're happy, I'll keep you that one back for a little bit. So, one of the best things that we can do, uh, and we say it in every episode. This is episode 129 of the Cool Room. We love the fact that there are people in the Zoom room with us. They get to type in their questions. And um, it's wonderful to be part of that experience. Thank you to James. You've got a good question. We're going to ask that question in about, I don't know, 
half an hour's time as we keep on moving forward, but we're going to enjoy the Mills Mosaic Pale Ale before we get to that. And um, you've got, look, we've got six beers from you guys in, in our tasting pack. They're such good core range beers, so solid. Mm. How do you go about designing such a genuinely sensible offering of that? Like that kind of? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, funnily enough, I had five years to uh, think about it and try and perfect the core beers that we now have. Because um, as I said, you know, when I was, when it was, sorry, when it was just back at the Collingwood um, site, you know, we were we were brewing those batches just so often, just to sort of keep up with, um, you know, the demand of the tap room, and and even back then it was it was me brewing those, and I really enjoyed just making little tweaks each time. And I guess uh, for for what I like to drink personally, you know, when I'm sort of at the bottle shop and I'm buying, um, you know, beers from other breweries, I I just kind of wanted to make our core range just something that's just kind of approachable uh, to everybody, but it, they've still got a little bit of something there. They've got a bit of oomph, you could say, um, you know, they're, they're not like, I don't think any of our beers are particularly sort of light or super sessionable. The, the Daydream Session Ale is, yeah. but, uh, you know, the Mosaic Pale Ale, which you guys are onto now, is really, uh, it's, it's quite a hefty American style pale ale you know it's got the bitterness it's robust it's got that sort of um you know it's got the punchy hops uh and it's full-bodied you know i think it's those yeah. sort of things that just make a really good classic american pale ale and look we, we've kind of based that off um you know like a sierra nevada pale ale like just that absolute classic that green can you know or well, cream bottle yeah. rather the cans went around when we were drinking it but yeah, just, uh, yeah, and same with the session now. You've got a session, we've got a great American lager, just a super easy drinking beer and, uh, you know, just a nice West Coast IPA. We just, to me, that is just the four sort of styles that you need. I'd love, we've got one more beer that we'd love to add. But so this, so we, we always say we get these scoops at about this time of the night. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you know us and you know there is another beer that's been around even longer than the mosaic and it's dark and it's got hops in it. And uh, it's something that we'd love to, so, love so, to add, so, but it's so a trouble to be around here. Don't, don't remember this needs to be said in words to be <laughs> you know, on a podcast. Oh, I can say it's the dark Lord. I can say it. There's no exactly secret about right. it. So let's, let's talk about it. The dark Lord black IPA. Yeah. That's, that's something that I brewed before the mill was anything. Yeah, we did, uh, you know, I used to homebrew that one for a long time and uh, I got the opportunity to brew that with um, Exit, actually, with Exit Brewing and have it on tap at, um, this This was the very first beer that was like officially the mill by, by any means. So, yeah, the, the Dark Lord, the Black IPA, we had it on tap at uh, the Terminus, uh, the Royston and oh, Foresters yeah. back when they were all owned together. Um which was an amazing opportunity to head down to to the little warehouse that Grum and Fraser had before they had their brewery as well. So they were still brewing on a like a what a hundred liter you know all grain kit or something, which is crazy. Um, and yeah, like that, just that beer. It's just you know it's got a bit of a sort of cult following, you could say, and uh, it's just been so. It's just such a great one. You know, we love it when it's around. People people love it. And we had regulars who would come in, um, you know, drink it so often and would be very upset when it wasn't on tap because the, the sad thing is, you know, it, it does run out and also it doesn't move fast in the warmer months. So it is just a tough one to sort of have as your core beer because, you know, not that many people are drinking that sort of style in, you know, in December, January. <laughs> um. I'm gonna. I've got a double banger question. I, it just harks back a little bit to what you mentioned earlier. So, with in terms of the evolution of your beers um, and brewing them all the time, how much did your tap room play in the evolution of those beers? Like, how much did listening to to the punters and people who came in and all those the people, all your regulars, kind of dictate where those beers went? Did you did you get much feedback? And yeah, what was that like? yeah, look, quite a bit, and we certainly got a, a lot of feedback. You know, some feedback. I um, sorry, that was a mosquito. <laughs> some feedback. Uh, 
you know, I chose not to listen to, uh, <laughs> but some, some I did. And, yeah. and look, at the end of the day, it was, it was a really, I was in an amazing position to be brewing at a facility that small um, and, and being able to just sort of do what I wanted and do what I like to drink. And, you know, I didn't want to do anything too wacky. I, I don't think you'll find over the years that the mills produced anything super crazy or over the top. You know, I sort of generally like to experiment with different styles for sure, but I don't like to do anything that I, you know, that at least isn't sort of drinkable in some sense. Um, so, yeah, over the years, yeah, it's been a great exercise to sort of figure out exactly what I like and and what works. And And to be fair, now that we've got that larger facility, we do sort of have to think a little bit more about what sells because we can't do a 3000 litre batch of something that's, you know, not going to move. Um, but having said that we have, we still have the Collingwood site and that's exactly what we're going to keep it for. Um, small batch stuff and we're calling it brewers series. So basically um, I've got a brewer at Collingwood and we've got Eli, the head brewer um, at uh, Thomastown. And those guys basically just get free reign to just sort of do whatever they want. And if there's something that I've got in my head, um, I just got back from a trip from New Zealand uh, just last week. So I did two weeks there and um, yeah, just saw some really cool beers and it just sort of, you know, just got my mind thinking and I'm like, Oh, look, you know, I've got some ideas for some beers that I want to throw down. And that's, I'm still in a great position to go, all right, guys, I want to do this beer. Um, when can we, you know, slot it in? Awesome. So I still have that freedom and, and we all do essentially. There's the sales guys who say, hey, we want this to sell it <laughs> to make some money. And I say, cool, no worries. But we also have, um, you know, the flexibility to sort of still play around a bit. Awesome. Terrific. Hmm. Um, the other part of that question was, so, yeah, we've got, we've got listeners from all over the place. Uh, what talk about the tap room and what would entice them to come and visit Melbourne and come in and, and go to the mill in, in Collingwood? Like, what's the vibe? What's the feel? What music will be playing when they step in the door? Music uh, will be really dependent on who's working the bar at the time. Um, <laughs> you're probably all thankful it's not me at, because I do tend to play probably some slightly heavier things for no, you know, I, I Friday think you night. And me, you, you and me could go and just clean up. So I have <laughs> cleaning music in the morning. That's what I do. That's my like get the fuck out music at the end of the night, you know. Yeah, no, no, that's that's more privacy. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. So so look, depending on who's working, um, you know, it look yeah, it's a bit of a round one, that one, that round question. That could really be anything, but but the the vibe of the place itself was um look, it's an old mechanics workshop. So Mm. right off the bat, I wanted to sort of just keep that vibe, that that old school, almost like your friend's garage. Um, you know, so all the sort of furniture is all handmade furniture, um, you know, the tables and everything that me and my old man built, um, put together just lots of old, uh, like sort of red gum wood that we sort of collected and, and cleaned up. And, uh, you know, the breweries at the back all on show, like it's not behind any wall or glass windows or anything. It's, it's literally right there. You could pretty much go and stand in the middle of it. I'd probably tell you to, Hey, got to get out of there. Sorry. But you know, you can basically stand right in there. And that's something that I always wanted to, it had to be the focus for me. I just wanted that brewery to just be smack bang. You can see it from anywhere. Um, Because for me back then, that was exactly what I wanted to see. You know, just, I got so excited going into a brewery and just being able to see, just see the tanks, you know, it just, it was something special about it. Um, But the rest of the venue is just, it's really sort of, it's, it's just grown so much in the last few years and, you know, through COVID and everything. And we've got this beautiful outdoor area now. Again, we've got it like a local um, uh, dude to come and build us this really beautiful big bench seat with a big tree out the front. And it's, look, in my opinion, it's one of the most nice little um, sort of sunny beer gardens in Melbourne. It's a great little spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, as I said, it's still got that industrial warehouse vibe to it. We've got a big roller door that, you know, opens up, um, you know, when it's not freezing cold and you can just walk right in. We've got a nice fireplace, super inviting. Um, you know, it's like a dark grey tones with like a, a white around the top, sort of on the brick wall, um, you know, lots of plants, lots of really nice sort of intimate lighting. It's It's a nice inviting venue and it's just something that I wanted to, I just wanted to create somewhere that I felt that I would want to hang out at all the time. And I do hang out there probably a bit too much. <laughs> Once again, we've smashed a whole bunch of questions and we haven't 
actually spoken about the beer. And we keep on doing it. It's oh. kind of okay. Yes. Yep. 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 True. I, I reckon I have had this, Warren. We, we, we might just press pause on the record right now. And at that point, we did press pause. It's a pause that allows me to take a few moments just to say thank you to everyone who subscribed to the podcast lately, uh, whether you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or any number of the other platforms that the podcast is available on. It really does make a big difference to us if you click that subscribe, because that's the kind of thing that breweries and their reps have a look at to see how many subscribers we've got when we contact them to say, would you like to be on this awesome podcast? Uh, that little press of the button from you makes a big difference to our capacity to get the awesome guests on that we do. Uh, so if you're looking for a little way to help out, that would be an awesome way to help. And of course, suggesting to your friends that they come and listen to the podcast as well just adds to the fun for everyone. Uh, with those few words, let's go back to the mill. What is the strangest, weirdest, most amusing thing you've seen in a cool room? And then when we say cool room, it can be any kind of hospitality or brewing environment. But yeah, if it's in a cool room, that's even better. <laughs> you know, I really thought I was going to try to think hard about this one and have something ready to go, but I just, I, yeah, absolutely do not. But uh, we, like, we like off the cuff, honestly. Yeah. Off the cuff, yeah. Maybe, perhaps, if you give me, I think I, I might try to think about it and something okay, pop great. into my yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like something could come. So, have how like about in the meantime, then? Tell us, tell us about the uh, yes. Freshest Haze design label. Who do the who does your designs? Who yeah. does the labels? I'm glad you asked. That's actually uh, amazing that you guys are liking the design of this can. Um, so, funnily enough, last year that we did this beer. Um, my partner did the design and she is a beautiful artist. She doesn't actually <clears throat> do a lot of, you know, she's not, doesn't make any money from her art. She just does it as a hobby. Um, and so she made up a, a really nice label, um, which was yeah really good. Um, but between then and now, you know, we've gone through this sort of brand refresh and, um, just to sort of keep all of our upcoming beers in line with just our sort of brand now um i've got a, a friend of mine uh called chris who does all of our designs and i basically sort of said to him hey mate this is the design that i absolutely love and i would just love if you were to just spruce it up a little bit you know give it some life again and just um just sort of bring it back in brand with our with our style and he's killed it but look i just want to say secretly at the end of the day i think you know my girlfriend did the original of this and it's it's not far off He's just given it a little bit of, you know, oomph to it. Um, and, yeah, it's. I'm glad that you said that too, that it's sort of really it, just the design of this particular beer, it is inviting and it does sort of encapsulate that that sort of fresh hot vibe. At least that's how I sort of feel when I see this on the shelf. I just think, holy shit, I want that beer, you know. I just, it's, it's a pretty unique this, thing. This wasn't a setup. This is like one of those things they do in magic where they go, oh, did you speak to something? that We had not had this conversation before. That was no, absolutely not. No. no, I'm very glad you guys said that. It's yeah, it's a yeah, beautiful design. I love it. It's such a nice looking can. And, and how much time do you guys spend thinking about things like the design? And how important is it, you know, when you well look on, on the design, market? yeah, on the design side of things, depending on um depending on our beers, whether they're you know, they're, I mean they're all sort of the brewer series these days. Um, but since, you know, since we did our sort of um, our rebrand, we've got this strip label now that we use um, because we have these larger printed cans. What that, I'm not trying to be difficult. Can you explain no. the, what that means to people who aren't? Remember, we've got thousands of people who listen. Of course, yeah, There's yeah. There's only 20 of us who are in the Zoom room. Yep. It's an incentive to be joining us in the Zoom room. But Absolutely. So, means. look, so, I mean, look, just... Basically, these are our printed cans that we use for our core beers, you know, and they've got just our, you know, Daydream Sessional written on these. Um, and if you want to do a printed can, you've got to commit to, you know, 50,000 cans. It's quite a lot. So you don't just willy-nilly do them for any sort of beer. You know, you need to know that you're going to be tuning out a lot of that style of beer and for hopefully a long time to get through your supply of cans. Um, and so what we wanted to do for our limited brewer series um, instead of just having to 
constantly make a new full design, you know, like we've done for the freshest haze. We wanted something so that, you know, if I wanted to randomly come up with a, a style of beer and a name, I wanted to be able to just quickly update our little strip label. It's a bit hard to see, but the, the strip label here is just, a, it's just a template that our designers come up with and I can edit this myself, um, you know, slap on the new name, slap on the style, get those off the print because, you know, like a lot of things in life, I, I leave them very late and I'm, you know, <laughs> emailing the, the the printing company saying, hey, we need these, you know, yesterday. Um, so it's just, We'd it's love, just a good... You, we love these kind of stories. This is yeah, the kind of, yeah. you know. That's it. I mean, look, you're not really, you're probably not going to hear as much you know, being quite honest with just the process. And and that's because I've sort of come from a home brewing background and I've not known how things work in a commercial environment. And, you know, we've just had to figure everything out ourselves as we go. Um, so this whole side of things was, particularly with the strip label, to be fair, I think that was a great little thing that we just sort of threw in the mix and it made it just our life a lot easier um, when we're coming up with sort of new beers and we need we need labels quickly. But what was what was your first beer when you were making homebrew? I mean, I'm going to completely go on a different tangent here. You know, how, how did you start homebrewing, and and how did that sort of become what is now a business? Yeah, yeah. All I of mean, our home... listeners—that's what they listen for. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and look, to be fair, that was one of those things that I mean, I started homebrewing the same way probably everybody does. You know, like somebody bought one of those Cooper's kits, you know, with the plastic fermenter, and off you go, and it you know comes out awful, and you go. I'm going to try again <laughs> instead of throwing it in the bin. But, uh, you know, from there, I guess I just kind of really enjoyed the hobby um, and I just sort of went, I, I'm not really one to sort of half-ass things. And I, I sort of bought a, a uh, like a 50-litre sort of all-grain kit. I pieced together myself uh, like a three-vessel all-grain um, homebrew kit and we, yeah, I just started brewing in a friend's garage and it was, you know, out at his place, um, you know, he lives in, uh, you know, Brunswick and I just used to cruise over there on the weekends and, you know, throw down a batch and just sort of drink it with your mates. And it's just, it's a classic story, you know, that everyone sort of goes through that at some point if they're on that trajectory to one day wanting to start their their own brewery. And look, another interesting part of the story is that I uh, desperately wanted to to work in a brewery. Like I thought, look, I want to understand how it actually works um, you know, in a commercial environment. And, you know, the only way that I'm really going to learn is to go and work somewhere. And uh, like I was sort of in between jobs for, for you know, over the years working for different um, sort of, um, I actually used to work in the film industry. But anyway, between jobs, I would always go and apply for every single brewery in Victoria. And I never, never got a job. <laughs> and funnily enough, you know, here I am today and I've got a brewery. And it was like, I, I kind of wish that I, had got a bit more experience, I guess, before I, you know, before I opened the brewery, but I don't necessarily think at the end of the day, it would have made a lot of difference to the final outcome. Um, it maybe I just probably could have got places a little bit faster, but I've always thought that our slow and steady approach, at least for, for us and, and for my business, uh, that slow and steady approach was just the best way to do it. I think if we grew too fast, too quickly, uh, things would have gone pear shapes <laughs> far earlier on i think do you wish you being had a little to, bit yeah. more do you wish you had a little bit more sort of experience in the brewing side of things or the marketing side of things or what i think the, i think running a business yes yeah, <laughs> i think yeah, no that's my personal experience absolutely yeah, yeah i think that's that's the, and people say that too you know running a business is is really the, the main part of you know the brewery itself um making beer is all well and good. And I think to be fair, our first few batches at the, at the mill, uh, you know, and in, in the Collingwood site, you know, weren't, weren't that great, but uh, <laughs> luckily enough, uh, you know, I sort of got the opportunity quite quickly to brew more, you know, more often and, and just really refine, you know, the craft itself. And, you know, I'm, look, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to be a professional brewer by any means, um, but I guess I just sort of got lucky in that chance that I, you know, persisted in just just keep brewing you know just keep keep going more and luckily by that point I, I had been brewing um all grain for you know four years like mm. pretty every sort of second or third weekend so the, the the process itself I feel like I was pretty familiar with yeah 
It's a pretty amazing run, and genuinely, I think we're going to start to wrap up now, but your sharing of that and, and the mm. sharing of the bits where things don't always go perfectly. Absolutely. We, we love those stories, not because we want to make people feel bad, but because we want to show how no one ever gets it right from the beginning. No one ever goes, this is my perfect vision for a business, and it all just works smoothly. That never yeah. happens. Yeah. You'd have to have a lot of money for it to work that way. Oh, even then, even then. Warren, even then were, yeah. Was it a perfect business for you when you started out? Was it a perfect business, did you say? Oh, uh, asking Warren. No, like, oh, like, sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, I'm, I'm like everyone. It's like it's never, yeah. And you make mistakes. And like, and, and starting small means you can make mistakes without them completely blowing up in your face, um, I think. Yeah, that feels about right. Mm. Yeah. America, um, what's the biggest thing you've learned in this journey like what what what's the one if there was one thing you could just car hold and just go oh shit i wish i really knew that when i i first started out what would that be what do you do you have one particular one that comes to mind just the biggest thing that i've learned on the journey Jeez, that's a tough one. And it, it sort of comes back to like what, what, what you, uh, yeah, it's a little bit vulnerable because it also like what didn't you know beforehand? It's actually a really good question. We've not asked it like that before. Good question. Yeah. And look, I think, <laughs> I don't look, it all sounds a bit cheesy when I start to think about it. But I, I think, um, look, I think the only, I think the biggest thing, especially with starting the brewery all those years ago, I guess like just so many, so many people, especially in the, in the brewing industry, like, you know, you can go and ask so many people um, for assistance. And I, and I'll tell you right now, everybody is so friendly. Holy shit. People will go out of their way to help you. And, and I've had nothing but sort of, you know, assistance along the way from other brewers and and breweries. They've been so awesome with sharing their, um, their knowledge. But I think just, just aside from that, if you sort of start, um asking people i guess online you know maybe um for for assistance and what your thoughts are hey i wanted to start a brewery you know what do you guys think like what can you do i think you'll probably be met with a lot of hostility um and like no you can't no don't do it don't do it it's a terrible idea and and i think to be fair i think at the end of all of this i think the biggest thing i learned was to just (laughs) i mean if your heart's in it and you want to do it you've got to do it and try like Mm. That that's the biggest thing, and and look, I, I guess I got. Look, I didn't get lucky, but I but I tried hard and I put a lot into it, and uh, I, I, like I wanted it to succeed, and I didn't want to, you know, fuck around. And it was, I, I got lucky at that timing as well for us as well, like starting the mill when we started. Like I wouldn't necessarily want to be starting one now, just purely based off the, just with how many breweries there are. But, but at the end of the day, that doesn't mean anything. Like there might, there's still plenty of room for growth. I feel in in the craft mm-hmm. industry. Um, but yeah, I hope that sort of answers it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that does. I think it. Uh, I think the idea of of getting in there and just giving it a shot, and if mm. you, if you think, yeah, it's also it's also about about a little bit of grit. Like uh, you, like things screw up along the way, but if with that little bit of grit, if you want to do it, it just pushes you through. And I feel like. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's that's probably the story of a lot of the breweries which are starting to see some success, which mm-hmm. are growing. It's like, yeah. I think so, yeah. All right, let's go back. Did you think of something for that cool room? Oh, God, no, I was super thinking about the <laughs> thing that I learned. I thought you might. We, we distracted <laughs> you too much. So has anything exploded? Has anyone had sex in your Oh, country? actually, I'm so glad you just said the exploded thing because that is... <laughs> I love the exploded thing. There, there it is. Fun. Thank you. I'm so glad you gave me that little hint. This is this is where we're going. So we're going to go out on this. Let's be clear. We're going to... You're going to tell your story. We're going to let these things fade off into the distance. That's <laughs> oh, it's gonna... not that bad. It's just embarrassing to me. And luckily, no one even saw. It was just one of those classic. We had a dark beer on uh, in our cool room, uh, and I think you know a dark beer like that. If the couple has been sort of engaged on the keg for quite some time, it can get a little bit sort of sticky. And uh, the actual uh, the mechanism on the keg itself, the spear can be remained pressed in. And so I just sort of leant over, going, "Oh man, a little bit suck this one." And just as I 
pulled off the the coupler, it was still engaged. So, you know, however pressurized that keg was, it was just, you know, 10 litres of beer just literally just went straight into my face. And that alone was, you know, very disorientating. It was quite quite a bit. And, you know, after that, obviously, it went all over the freaking roof and it was just... uh, I think there's still remnants of it there to this day, honestly. It was just, oh, yeah, a bit rough. <laughs> I think um, everyone, to be fair, in Hospo has had that to happen to them yeah. at some point. I think that's like an initiation kind of thing. I felt at that point I was like, all right, I can stick this out. I feel like I belong here. <laughs> well, I've got to say I've been off doing the uh, International Workers Memorial Day today at Trades Hall. Oh, yeah. uh, it's, and it's one of those really important days uh, sounds a little bit trite, I know, but it's important to acknowledge the fact that we actually work in a dangerous industry and Mm. that there's all these sort of people, and I always make sure that when the new people come in to work at the front of a bar, they actually understand they're working with bits of equipment which are under high pressure. Even if you're just pouring beers or you're tapping kegs, it's, um, it's important to get your head around those sort of things. And there are all sorts of nice people who wander through the suburbs of Carlton or East Melbourne or work North Melbourne, and they have no idea that there are kids, they're 16-year-old kids who are experiencing, you know, a genuine workplace and all the dangers that come from that. So can yeah. I just say it was very special for me to be allowed to be part of the experience today at the Victorian Trades Hall. More than that, can I say how fantastic it was to be joined tonight by the mill. Um, can we hear your social media tags and things so we can make sure that all of our listeners can make sure they're listening and following everything you are doing, which is fantastic. Absolutely, yep. We're all just uh, at at the mill brew. Not brewery, just B-R-E-W. That's on everything. And Mr Warren Wu. Yeah. Thank you for all of your good work tonight. And what are your socials? We never ask you about your socials. <laughs> I don't want anyone to look at my socials. <laughs> no, well, it is mainly your mainly. face. So I understand it, why it you just really, do, but, you know. But, but look at my cats. It's... it's um, hold on. What my cats? What my cats? Uh, it's like fiery the ginger. Um, oh, fiery. We, we, we will share. Mr. Yeah, Warren share my cat, please. Cats. Because he's because yeah, he's awesome, and we, I want more cat merchandise. Uh, <laughs> Warren, your cats probably have more followers than we do, mate. I I'd like. You know. Yeah, I, I'm seriously. My friends Greyhound has more <laughs> followers than most businesses I know, and that's yeah. like. How ridiculous is it? I love it. Oh, my God. It's a really beautiful greyhound. But, yeah. 